Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where I profile agents of growth and transformation in education today. Each guest shares their highs, their lows, their passions, their goals, and the resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. For show notes and links from each episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's meet today's guest. Today, I'm speaking with Wendy Turner. Wendy is a second grade teacher and 2017 Delaware Teacher of the Year. She is interested in trauma-informed practices, global education, social-emotional learning, and she works to spark empathy in education in all that she does. Follow Wendy on Twitter at Mrs. Wendy M. Turner and on Facebook at facebook.com slash 2017-D-E-T-O-Y. Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? I am, Tim. Thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your current context in education? What does that look like for you on a daily basis? Sure. So um, I teach second grade, and um, the name of my school is Mount Pleasant Elementary School, It's in suburban Wilmington, Delaware, and we are a large, diverse school. We have over 750 students. So I spend my day with seven and eight-year-olds, which is a true joy for me. And um, our school is complex. We have a variety of programs. Um, We have uh, regular education students, special education students, gifted and talented students. We have our district's emotional support program. And um, we have a diverse uh, socioeconomic and racial makeup of our school community. So to me, it's the most beautiful place on earth because um, it has everything there. And I I love being there. I'm in my 10th year of teaching. I changed careers at age 40. And I used to be a business person. And I just decided one day when I was sitting in my cubicle that I couldn't do it anymore. And I wanted a more rewarding career. So I went to school at night um, for four years to become a teacher. And it's turned out to be a really great decision. I'd say so. And there must be quite a story there. So speaking of stories, would you share with us about a low moment or an experience of adversity that you've faced somewhere in your, I guess, rather short teaching career? Not too short, but not too long either. Uh, So tell us about that and describe how you overcame it. So um, I started my career, like I said, when I was 40 and I come into second grade And during the second week of school, so the second week of my teaching career, one of my seven-year-old students lost his mom. Mm. So I will just tell you that I was absolutely frozen with fear about what to do because they don't really talk about what, they don't talk about this in teacher preparation, right? Mm. And I will say that what saved me, what helped me was that I just knew that I needed help and I asked for help immediately. I reached out to my principal, my guidance counselor and said, what do I need to do? How do I support my student? How do I normalize the situation for the rest of the students in my classroom? And internally, I had to answer this question about, like, how do I get through this moment, right? Because I would go home and, and sometimes cry because I was so distraught. Um, so what we, we did is we invested in social-emotional learning at that moment in a very intentional way. We talked about our feelings um, as a group. We did not pretend that those difficult feelings were not there. We faced them head on. And um, I had to do that. For myself as well. And that crystallized for me. Like at that moment, I realized that if I was going to do this thing and do it well, we needed to attend to social emotional learning in a very um, intentional way mm-hmm. and honor feelings, normalize difficult feelings. Um, so that's that was hard. But in a way, it was a, a good experience. And we ended up doing some really good 
group work as a school community um, and as a classroom to to get through that, um, including raising, uh, raising money for charity and, and doing some group projects that were really interesting. So it, it turned out to be a good thing. Is it fair to say that that incident, that experience really was the catalyst to uh, sort of take you to where you are today and particularly as an authority in the whole SEL area? I would say so. At the time, I didn't know it, but as I reflect and look back, I think absolutely. Um, But this has always been something that's been very important for me. Um, When you're a teaching student, you have to articulate your teaching philosophy. And I I recently went back and looked at it, something I wrote, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, And I said something like, I need to teach my students how to be successful human beings. So that idea has always resonated with me um, and is one of the core tenets of uh, who I am as a person as, and as an educator. So that kind of brought it to the forefront and crystallized it, but it was always there, always there for me. Mm-hmm. We serve the whole child, right? We must. Recently, Wendy, a Twitter account by the name of Social Emotional Learning at SE Learning EDU recently tweeted, the most successful school-based SEL initiatives do not solely exist as standalone or packaged curriculums, but consist through the very nature of every interaction and relationship that is fostered between students, adults, and families. And to that tweet, you replied, this is what I have been saying. SEL must be infused into the walls of our classrooms and the air that we breathe as we work and learn every single day for both kids and adults. It's not a binder. It's literally a way of life in the classroom. So my question to you is how can teachers make social emotional learning a way of life in their classrooms? So this is such a great question, and um, I just want to back up a minute and and say that um, this is not addressed properly in our teacher preparation programs. Uh, most people have a class on uh, classroom management, and it's not enough. And I think that the key way, and I've thought about this really, really deeply, and I thought about how I get better at my own social-emotional learning, the biggest thing that teachers can do is they can embrace their own social-emotional learning and do it themselves first. Look at these competencies that we're working on. Um, There are self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, problem-solving skills, and relationship skills. And if teachers and adults work on those intentionally, individually, and as a group um, in the larger context of the school community, that is going to become part of the fabric of your classroom automatically. So I think that's where it starts. And I don't think we do that enough. You also recently published an article that appeared in the Education Post titled, Here's Why I Say No to Recess Detention and You Should Too. So let me plead devil's advocate on this one, even though it's painful for me to get the words out. (laughs) Aren't we reinforcing misbehavior when we let misbehaving students enjoy the privilege of recess? Okay, so this is a great conversation to have. And I'm going to point to uh, two words in your response that are very, very important. So the word privilege. Um, If you define recess as a privilege, I think that's a problem. Right. Um, In elementary spaces, students need a break from learning. They need fresh air and they need the opportunity to move their bodies to to get stronger. Um, So when you define it as a privilege and it's taken away in a punitive way, you're you're depriving young children of uh, a certain type of learning that they really need to engage in. And uh, spending time in the natural world and also experiencing joy through play, unstructured play, and then working through social situations in recess, such as like, how do we organize this game of like Red Rover, Red Rover, or let's make up this Harry Potter imagination game and what are the rules going to be? If we take that away from students, we're really taking away some growth that they need to go through at a, at a tender age, a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other word in that response that I'll point to is misbehavior. 
So there's um, a lot of an often tweeted idea um, that behavior is communication. So behavior tells us something. Right. And as I've gone through my work developing my competence and my expertise in social emotional learning, I've really worked to change that word misbehavior. Um, I don't use it as much. I have changed that word to embrace the idea that a student who's misbehaving is actually a struggling student. So if you look at what students are struggling with and how they're communicating that to us through their actions, we have to say, what can we do to help a struggling student? How can we help them develop the skills or um, the regulation that they need to be successful? So I think that um, there's certain situations where you would take recess away, such as if there's an unsafe thing happening in recess. But even if a child's not good at recess or they're causing a safety situation, you have to work with them to teach them how to do recess well and not just punitively take it away with no conversation about recess, if that makes any sense. I agree 100%. And the other thing that I think we forget about too is that teachers need a break. Yeah, they absolutely do. Well, Wendy, as you look across your PLN and your own practice, what else is setting you on fire about education today? We've talked about SEL and recess. Is there something else that is really filling you with passion these days? Yeah. So I am so excited about the movement of global education, global ed. Um, Last year, I was an NEA uh, Global Learning Fellow, and I traveled to South Africa with 50 teachers from around the country, and we engaged in a year of really excellent professional development on the topic of global education. And you can look at a platform like the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which look at solving 16 uh, huge problems in the world by the year 2030, and they are such an incredible platform for learning for kids. They're really engaging, and they help you help kids make connections through their learning to real problems in the world and making the world a better place. So for instance, um, you can engage your kids um, in a project where you're looking at food insecurity in your community, maybe collecting food for a food drive or a homeless shelter, and that ties into um, the goal, the sustainable development goal of zero hunger. And you can learn more about this at um, worldslargestlesson.org. There's a great video um, that you can share with kids. And if you just Google UN um, Sustainable Development Goals, you see a graphic with all the goals. Hashtag teach SDGs is powerful. And um, since I've been engaged in this work, I've connected with educators around the world. And um, it's a real thing. It's really, really wonderful. And the level of engagement in my classroom around it is through the roof. That's so neat that this is coming up uh, for the second interview in a row. My last guest, Julia Fliss, she was focused on sustainable development goals as well. And I told her about how I was able to visit the United Nations in New York City this past uh, December. And obviously the SDGs are a huge focus there. And and so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Julia. Is there one in particular that really has your heart? So it, there is. It's such a great question. So SDG number four, quality education for everyone, is really on my heart right now. And I'll tell you why. Um, I used a great ed tech tool to connect uh, my elementary classroom last year with a classroom in Nigeria. And that's a free platform to connect elementary classrooms. And the, the idea behind it is to spark curiosity, empathy, and kindness among uh, very different places around the world, uh, recognizing that we're all really connected by our humanity. And the teacher I connected with was a fellow with a program called uh, Teach for Nigeria, and you can find them on Twitter. And they put uh, young teachers into underserved communities um, to teach for two years and to make a difference in the education space. In Nigeria, um, an extraordinary number of girls are out of school, I believe six million, when I looked that up on the Teach for Nigeria website. And so just getting to school is a problem. And um, when we connected with this school, we realized that there was a classroom with 50 kids in it, not many books in it. Um, my 
teacher that I connected with is now a friend of mine, and he's really a social entrepreneur. And he wanted to bring his kids the world connecting with my classroom. He also has a startup that is working with teachers in Nigeria because some of them haven't um, received professional development in 12 years, if you can believe that. So I did a GoFundMe project this fall to raise $1,000 for him for um, a charity or nonprofit he runs called Rebook Africa, where they have uh, Saturday programs for kids to learn computer literacy. And so you know, I want to say, what can I do? How can I support this? And um, that's on my mind. You know, you think about Malala, you think about the number of girls around the world that um, aren't getting educated. And then you look at, we have challenges in U.S. education, but we ha- we're all going to school. We have, for the most part, supplies and materials that we need. Um, it, it really makes you think it opens your eyes and it sparked my own empathy. And um, that's what I am trying to focus on right now. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, Julia, how are you looking to grow professionally and improve your practice this year? Can you share about a specific professional goal or a project that you're currently working on? Sure. So um, professionally, in the last year, I've started presenting, and um, I'm a trainer for the authors of Fostering Resilient Learners. It's a book written by Kristen Sowers and Pete Hall, and it really changed um, my life in terms of uh, what I bring to the classroom and how I support students. And I connected with them at some professional development in Delaware. A little bit over a year ago, and then um, or two years ago, and then a year ago, they asked me to join their team. So I now, in addition to teaching, travel around the country to share their work um, around being trauma informed and trauma invested. And that was a big stretch for me because I've been in a classroom with small kids, and I I still remember a little over a year ago they they were like, hey, we got a request for some PD in New Jersey. You know, can you get up there? This would be my first presentation with them, and it was to 400 people. And I said, yes, and just did it, right? So that requires like a huge uh, growth mindset on my part that I can do it, but I believe in the work. And since then, I've done a lot of work presenting for them. And um, they're having a trauma institute in Austin in March, uh, March 22nd and 23rd. And I'm currently putting together three sessions for that. The titles are Adult SEO, uh, How to Create a Trauma-Informed Elementary School Classroom, and Creative Ways to Support Emotional Regulation. So that's definitely pushing me professionally. And as I'm also an advocate, that's one of my roles. That's that's how I can get out there and help people support students um, better. That is terrific growth for you. And uh, obviously, you're bringing a lot of expertise and insight to these different schools that you mentioned. What is, for, I'm thinking for administrators uh, who maybe perked up their ears here about uh, what you are offering, can you tell us the name of the organization again that you're working with? Sure. So the website is Fostering Resilient Learners. Dot org, dot org. And that is, um, that's the name of the book that Kristen and Pete wrote. And again, I read it over a weekend uh, and it changed my life. So you can go to that website and contact them about professional development offerings. They have different levels of training. Um, and I wouldn't do it if I didn't believe in it because, you know, it's hard to teach full time and do that, but it is something I really believe in. Um, so that's how you can learn more. This next question relates quite well, actually, and that is share about a personal habit or a productivity hack that contributes to your success. So how are you balancing your full-time teaching responsibilities and your work with other schools? Is there a routine that you've come to really count on, some kind of an app or tool? What is it that helps you keep it all going? Oh, such a good question. So Again, because I'm really in tune to my own social emotional competencies, my self-management and um, my mindset, I have come up with things that work for me. So I'm much more efficient in the morning. I'm an early bird. I'm not a night owl. So I tell people, you'll never get an email from me at midnight, but you might get one from me at 530 in the morning. And something that I seek to do is I seek to start my day in a calm and intentional way. 
So I do, I get up at five every morning and I get a cup of coffee. And before I look at email or social media or pick up any piece of tech, I drink that cup of coffee in silence. And I think, and it's only about a 15 minute routine. And then I set my intention very intentionally. And I may actually say something out loud. Like today, I'm going to connect with my teenage daughter after school, or today I'm going to stay calm during the science investigation because that can get crazy in second grade, or today I'm going to do the best I can. And when you say it out loud for me, that really makes it real. And just um, starting the day in that quiet, reflective, thoughtful way helps me. It sets the tone for the day. And then after that, I try and exercise, you know, five times a week. And then I, I am active on social media, sharing my practices and and my beliefs. Um, so I can get into that. If I miss that part of the day, it really makes the day quite different for me. So it's important to me. Yeah, I'm with you on the wake up time. Where I differ and, and where I really applaud what you're doing is just sitting with that cup of coffee for 15 minutes and not grabbing things, not looking at anything, but really spending that time in a focused thought is something that I think if you've got stuff on your mind, if you're uh, maybe type A or you're feeling ambitious, that is really difficult. But I, it strikes me that that has to be a really valuable practice. You're just training your mind there, aren't you? I am. And it was hard to do, right? So it's hard not to like pick up that phone. We're all so connected to our tech these days and what people think and what people are saying. It's really hard. And I've tried meditation itself and I don't love meditation itself. So this is like the Wendy Turner version of meditation. Do you know what I mean? And um, I, I do drink coffee. It's something that I also need. Um, I just enjoy the smell of the coffee. Um, my dog is up. My German Shepherd's up. I feed her too, because if I don't feed her, she'll be like whining at my feet. And so she's around. Um, and it just, um, it's, I kind of notice what comes into my mind. One of my mantras is uh, to be mindful is to notice and not judge. So someday what's floating into my mind, it might be all about my kids. We have two teenagers and it's hard sometimes to connect with them. And um, I spend my day with seven and eight year olds and I come home to a 13 and a almost 15 year old. That's really different. Or what might be coming into my mind is these presentations I'm working on for the um, trauma conference. Or what might be coming into my mind is a student who's struggling in my classroom. And what am I going to do to support um, him or her? So I just kind of notice it, don't judge it. And then I, and then I, set my intention intentionally. Great practice. Well, you mentioned social media, Wendy. And so that brings me into our quick picks segment. And here we want to know the education voices and resources that are shaping your practice and inspiring your thinking today. So my first question starts with social media. Let's go to Twitter. Tell us about someone there we should follow and share why they've been inspiring you lately. Sure. So um, I have been following a teacher named Mike Anderson. He's at Balanced Teacher and he's just, he blogs regularly. And I think, I believe he's an author as well. He recently put out um, an article called Hidden in Plain Sight, Inequities in Reward Systems. And that one, man, that just grabbed me and resonated with me so much. Um, My school uses a PBIS reward system with paper tickets and I have to use it and I don't like to, I don't want to. Um, So this, he kind of uh, set out a way to honor the systems that you have to use, but to work on intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And he's just got a lot of other um, blogs that make a lot of sense to me about language and about um, trying different things when kids aren't responding. I I really enjoy his work. Um, Real quick too, I love something beautiful called At Native American Soul. It's beautiful images of nature. It's centered around Native Americans in the US and there's just beautiful things to see, which I think we need in our feed as much as we need thought provoking or controversial ideas, things like that. Okay. At Balance Teacher. And was the second one also a Twitter account? Could you give me that one again? Sure. At Native American Soul. 
and they will show uh, like beautiful waterfalls yeah, or buffalo crossing in Wyoming, just really beautiful images of from the United States of America. So I love seeing those pop through my feed as well. Wendy, point us to an ed tech tool that you currently love using in your second grade classroom or maybe elsewhere in your professional practice. All right. So indulge me for a moment while I answer this a little bit differently than most people would. My favorite ed tech tool right now that's blowing up my student participation is a handheld microphone, a wireless microphone. Ah. And it's from Amazon. The brand is Banok. It's B-O-N-A-O-K. It's about 25 or 30 bucks. And it's a microphone that's wireless. You can charge it and you can hand it to kids so they can share their ideas with the microphone. And it's, it's brilliant. We do a lot of circles um, in my classroom and um, they, I just let the kids pass the microphone around the classroom. And this really, um, I think, equitably normalizes participation, you know, it takes um, it away from just hands that go up quickly or people who have uh, faster working memories than other kids and can produce ideas and thoughts more quickly. Um, we wait, we listen, and we wait till everyone gets a chance with that microphone and I can see increased participation. So I love that. That's very fun. Something I'm doing that's similar is passing around my phone yeah. in a circle with my 28 eighth graders and just getting them to speak into the voice memo app. Do you have an amp in the room or where's the sound coming from? So the sound comes from the microphone. I don't, but I need, I could use that. So I, that might be my next thing I need to figure out. Um, so I have speakers, you know, for my projector. How do I tie in the mic to the speakers? That probably would be a good thing for me to look into. Right. Okay. IT department, get on that. Help me, please. Recommend, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> recommend a book, Wendy, one that you've been reading lately, or perhaps one of your all-time faves that's been deeply influential in your practice. All right. So uh, someone a few weeks ago just handed me a book called Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. And I love this book because it talks about the value of um, stopping working and um, engaging in deep thought. And it also validates something I've been fighting against my whole life. A lot of people tell me, Wendy, you never relax. You never slow down. You're always doing something. And I do a lot. And what it talks about is that rest may look different for everyone. So rest could be climbing a really tough mountain for someone. But since they're um, away from work, it's like active rest. And this is this is me. I do other things um, instead of working where I seem to be active, but I'm taking, I'm walking away from work thought. And I just, I love the book. So that's one I could recommend. Very cool. We could all use a little more rest, I think, in education. The last two questions have to do with video, Wendy. Tell us about a YouTube channel that you enjoy and explain why. All right. So this was a a good question. And I had to think for a minute. About three years ago, I started playing calm music in my classroom. And the YouTube channel by a composer named Tim Janis is one that I go to daily. He has um, tons of different two-hour YouTube videos with just uh, beautiful uh, classical music and also beautiful scenes. So right now there's one that has, it's called Winter Birds. And I put that on while my kids are writing or working. And you have this beautiful calming music coming into the classroom, which supports emotional regulation and and happy brains. And it's got these uh, visuals of birds in snow. And then there's some for summer and some for um, autumn. And there's no end to them. So that's a YouTube channel I go to a lot. It seems pretty simple, but I love it. I really appreciate that. I will use it. I'm always on the lookout for more of those relaxing instrumental music channels. Bonus points if they're ad-free, of course. And then the very last question, Wendy, just for fun, what are you watching on Netflix these days? 
Okay, so I'm watching Cheer. Isn't everybody watching Cheer right now? <laughs> <laughs> and it's I love the show because it's inspiring. You got some underdogs there. Um, we actually watched it last night with our teenagers. It's hard to find shows that you can watch with the whole family. Um, right. But we love Jerry the Underdog was on the red carpet at the Oscars, and um, we're just fascinated by it. So really enjoyable. Very fun. Well, Wendy, for those interested in your message and everything you're bringing to the education conversation, what are the best ways for the listeners to follow you and connect? Um, awesome. Okay. So number one is on Twitter at Mrs. Wendy M. Turner, as you imagined, as you mentioned earlier, and also on Facebook, 2017 D-E-Toy, T-O-Y. I share pictures of my classroom activities, articles, practices. I also share all of my writing. So I don't have my own blog website, but I write and it's published and pushed out by others. So the piece you mentioned was uh, pushed out by Education Post. Um, I've written for a group called Transforming Education that's focused on SEL. Um, also the fosteringresilientlearners.org website has a blog section. So I've um, worked with uh, Pete and Kristen, the authors of the book on pieces there, as well as done some on my own. I partnered with um, Teacher to Teacher, which is a big uh, presence on Twitter with a piece around empathy last year. So if you tune into me in either of those places, you're going to see everything that I'm doing. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. People message me through Twitter with ideas and questions. Um, I'm out there and I always respond. I like the shout out for LinkedIn. I think more teachers need to think about that community. You really can make it an education only space and, and there's more and more happening there all the time. So thank you so much again for sharing your time and insights with the podcast today. This has been enlightening. You've definitely got me thinking. Take care and let's talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Tim. Before we sign off today, I'd like to share some highlights from the Teachers on Fire Nation this week. Our first stop is on Twitter, where the Staff Room Podcast at Staff Podcast tweeted, Love your pod, content, and insight. Keep bringing the fire. We will connect on at the Drive Voice Ed for a chat. Well, thank you so much for this shout out, Shay and Pav. You know I'm a big fan of the Staff Room Podcast, and it was so fun to join you for lunch in person last week. Make sure you also check out Shay and Pav's new weekly morning show, The Drive, which you'll find on Voice Ed Radio on the web or on the Voice Ed Radio app on Friday mornings from 8 to 8.30 a.m. Eastern. And next, over on Instagram, after I shared a couple of quotes from James Clear, author of Atomic Habits, at Mr. Horner, the teacher commented, We read 321 in class yesterday and had a great discussion about this final point. Well, thank you for that, Mark. And of course, Mark is referring to James Clear's email newsletter format, 3, 2, and 1. He always shares three bits of wisdom, and they are always gold. I cannot recommend his email newsletter and book enough. So again, if you have not come across James Clear and Atomic Habits, he's got a lot of wisdom to share. Well, to all who have read, viewed, liked, retweeted, commented, or replied to my content this week, thank you. You are the fuel to my fire, and I so appreciate your support. Make sure you drop by the Teachers on Fire magazine on Medium this week where we featured a piece by Debbie Tannenbaum titled Using a Problem-Solving Lens. If I truly want to collaborate and connect with my colleagues, I need to empower them to be a catalyst for edtech use in impactful ways. And I published another post titled No, I Won't Assign Homework for Your Family Vacation. And in it, I made the point that when homework comes along for the ride, no one wins. 
The Teachers on Fire magazine is a Medium publication, and you'll find it on Medium.com or on the Medium app. If you're already an education blogger, consider joining our growing writing team. You can continue to publish content on your own blog, and you keep full credit and ownership of your content on Medium. Plus, the Medium platform compensates you based on the engagement and read time your articles earn. Message me at Teachers on Fire on any social media platform for more details. And I must say, very exciting time for the magazine. We currently have our highest monthly views of all time, so it's a great time to start writing. Speaking of blogging, check out the Teacher Blogs podcast. This week, we published episode 40 from Brad Davis, a post called Be That Teacher, where Brad shares some practical strategies to create an environment of care in and out of the classroom. And I have to say, Brad, you've got a very lovely, soothing voice, so I really appreciated your insights, and it was good to hear from you audibly for the very first time. I'm looking forward to more. Well, I will leave you with this quote from my reading this week, Teachers on Fire. It comes from a book called Hacking Assessment, 10 Ways to Go Gradeless in a Traditional Grade School by Star Saxstein. And she writes, as we rid ourselves of the grades, risk-taking and questioning become a natural part of the process. Have you ever thought that in traditional grading and assessment models, risk-taking and questioning are actually discouraged? She makes the case in Hacking Assessment that one of the, or I guess two of the biggest wins of moving into a gradeless assessment model are that we encourage these traits, these activities of risk-taking and questioning in our learners. And who doesn't want that? Again, I'm your host, Tim Cavey, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day listening to this podcast. I hope that in some way the content you heard from Wendy Turner ignited your thinking and inspired your practice, and I'll meet you next week right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. Take care and have a great week.